Good morning, Harmony. This side, I love you. I just got behind. There was not a reason I excluded you in the handshakes. I will get you guys after service. Did everybody have a good week? Uh, mediocre, it sounds like. All right. Um, we have been in a series talking about he being greater than me. And what our focus has been as we've been going through this is that as Christians, what we realize is that in our own lives, what we're hoping for, what we're praying for, is that more and more we become instruments in the hands of God. And brothers and sisters, I want to spend a few moments on this. I know I do this a lot, but it's just something that I think is so important. I think in our culture, we more and more are seeing people who will, on the outside, label themselves as a Christian. They will tell you, yep, I'm a Christian. And what they mean by that is not what the Bible has asked, which is you have fallen on your knees, realizing that you are a sinner, realizing that you, on your own, in your own ability and in your own merit, are on a pathway towards death and destruction that can only result in you being in hell. You have fallen on your feet because you realize that there is a God who is all-loving, all-perfect, completely compassionate, and who wants to save you from that. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth, and Jesus sacrificially, by choice, died on a cross to pay for our debts. Rose three days later showing that he is more powerful than death and offers freely to anybody that chooses to be his disciple eternal life. And what a Christian is is somebody who knows all those things and has decided to give everything they are and everything they have to Christ. He's the master. We're the servant. It is complete and utter submission of your life to Jesus. That's what that means. And as a Christian, the prayer in our lives is exactly that. He's greater than me. The prayer is is that more and more in my life, as I act, as I talk, as I behave, as I go into this world, more you will see him in me than you'll see me. No longer are we about creating our own legacy. No longer are we about becoming the best versions of ourselves. No longer are we about, I want to make my own name great. No, rather what we say is, God, you gave everything for me. I give everything for you. Use me. Use me to bring your love. Use me to bring your peace. Use me to bring your goodness. Use me to save others that were lost like me. Please. And the prayer is that every single day, he's greater and we're less. Unfortunately, what being a Christian has become in our culture is, is that you kind of have a positive feeling about the character of Jesus. And you like a few of the things that he's had to say and maybe apply them to your lives. It's a decent philosophy that you've evaluated and feel has some wisdom in it. And you're going to apply it to pieces of your life. I hope you see those are not the same things. They're not even remotely close to being the same things. To me, that would be like for all of us that love being United States citizens and love flying the flag, for all of us to stand up on Veterans Day and go, yep, I'm a veteran. Why are you saying that? Well, because I love America. I believe in freedom. I really like this freedom thing on my life. So I, I'm just like a regular soldier. I think soldiers would look at that and go, that is unbelievably offensive. Like, we love that you love the values. We love that you support it. We love that you, you cheer for us. But please don't act like you and I are the same. We've been willing to risk our lives for those things. And many of our brothers have lost their lives for those things. It's a very different thing than you. And so I hope, brothers and sisters, as we go through this series and as you think about this series, you're evaluating for yourself, where do you really stand? Are you a Christian that's come to the Word and said, you know what, in this book is some really nice wisdom, 
And it seems when I apply some of it to my life, it does some good things. I like that. And that Jesus guy, whether he was real or not, seems like a good role model. Or are you somebody who has fallen on their face and gone, this is my Lord. He is perfect. And I give him everything. Everything. And so, brothers and sisters, as we've gone through this series, what I've encouraged you to do, what I've encouraged you to think about is as we read these stories, don't first and foremost start with what does it mean for me? Right? There's a tendency within us when we go to Scripture and we read a story that the first thing we think about is me. Right? We read David and Goliath, and clearly, who are we? We're David. And Goliath, clearly, that's my boss at work who makes my life so hard. And if I just have a little bit of faith, I can take that giant down. That's not what that story is about. You know, we read the stories of Jesus versus the Pharisees, and immediately we always think, well, I'd be just like Jesus. No, more often than not, we're probably the Pharisee. What we really should always be hit first when we read these stories is not just the advice and guidance that we're hoping to apply to our own lives, but first and foremost, we should be awestruck by how awesome God is. We should read the pages, read the story, and go, that's my father. That's my Lord. That's the guy I get to follow. That's the guy I get to represent. That's the guy that I love more than anybody else in this world is this person here. He is loving. He is powerful. He is awesome. He is brilliant. And then after we've done that, then we go, you know what? How can I be more like him? Because, man, that's what I want. I really want that whenever I go out into this world and I talk with people and I interact with people and I work with people, that they go, you know who you remind me of? You remind me of your dad. You remind me of Jesus. That's what I want. So then I go, then after I've realized that, then I go into the Word and go, okay, so what did he do here? Oh, you know what? He, he showed a lot of patience here. Maybe, maybe I could do that too. Oh, you know what? He, he really showed a knowledge of the Word. Maybe I should study more. Maybe I should learn more. Maybe I should start applying some of that to my own life. Right? But the key is, is what motivated you wasn't you becoming the best you. What motivated you was, I love this Jesus. I love him more than anything. And I want to be like him. And so today I want you to look at this story with me, another one where I feel like we get to see some of these beautiful traits of Christ that make us want to follow him that remind us of why we're willing to say in our lives, I don't want to be king. I don't want to paint my own path. I want to follow him. I want him to lead the way. And so in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40, we come to uh, a passage that's unbelievably well-known, a passage that is, is probably one of the most central ones in all of Scripture. Because within it, we get wisdom that shows us what really is the foundation of Christianity? And so it says in Matthew chapter 22, starting verse 34, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love the Lord, or I'm sorry, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, well, he's the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David calls him Lord, then how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. So there's three things that really stand out to me when I read this passage about Jesus. And I, these, are, again, are reasons why I love that he's my Lord. The first is what I keep hitting on. He's unbelievably bold. 
Like, I'm just going to keep saying this until, until I feel like it resonates with us. Jesus wasn't just a nice guy. Modern culture has painted Jesus as this really kind, nice guy. And don't get me wrong. He's the most loving being that you will ever see. But brothers and sisters, if you want to know what real love looks like, it's powerful. Real love is not just soft, kind, compassionate. Real love is powerful. You know what the scariest force in the world is? It's love. Because what love is, is somebody who goes, I am willing to sacrifice myself for you, and I will do it joyfully. You ever want to watch somebody be dangerous? Watch somebody who truly feels like what they love is being threatened. See, when you fight for yourself, you always have at the back this desire to survive. That's why you're fighting. You're fighting because you go, somebody is encroaching on my liberties, on my freedoms, on my comfort. I'm worried about those things going away, so I'm going to fight. But there's obviously a limit to that fight because what you definitely don't want to do is die. Because dying would be the ultimate loss of comfort, freedom, and all those things you love. But when you fight for love, when you fight for not yourself but someone else, what you say is, there's no limit to where I'll go. I will give everything I am and everything I have to stop you from harming them. And I don't care what happens to me. And so, brothers and sisters, I think sadly the thing I see missing in so many modern Christians is this boldness. This boldness to stand by their Lord and not back down. To stand by their Lord and to be a force that you realize is to be reckoned with. It's not a force that goes into the world and, and oppresses. It's not a force that goes into the world and conquers for our own comfort. But it is a force that anybody who has ever come up against goes, my goodness, you cannot defeat this. And as you read the book of Acts, as you read the early New Testament, as you just study history, you realize these kingdoms had never fought someone like this. The Roman Empire, one of the greatest empires in the world, with more force than you could imagine, tries to wipe out Christianity. And what happens? They lose. They become Christians. Why? Because everybody else is fighting for themselves, but Christians aren't fighting for themselves. What Christians say is, you can't touch what really matters to me. Yeah, you can take my health, you can take my wealth, you can take my freedom, but you can't touch the love I have for God. You can't touch the peace that's in my soul. You can't touch any of these things that truly matter to me. In the New Testament, there's this beautiful story of the Pharisees trying to figure out how they're going to punish Paul, and, and they, they're stuck. Because they're like, if we throw him in jail, he just starts a jail prison church. And we don't want that because we don't want him converting people. And if we let him free, well, then he starts churches out there. And then if we kill him, he actually seems kind of excited about that because he wants to go to heaven. And if we torture him, he goes, I'm more like my Savior when you put me through this pain. They're like, all we want to do is inflict pain on this individual, but we can't figure out a way. All the things we would normally do don't work. He praises in all of them. How can Paul do that? Because they're going after things that don't matter to him. His real treasure, his real power, his real love is right here, and human hands can't lay a finger on it. And so, brothers and sisters, well, you may look at this story and go, well, well, how does this show boldness? Do you understand that Jesus is in the middle of ministry and all of the most educated, greatest minds in society show up and just start bombarding him with questions? All with the intent to make him look stupid? All with the intent to make him look like a fool? And what does Jesus do? Does he have one of the disciples go out as a spokesman and go, you go ahead and answer those questions for me? Does he go, no, no questions today, no questions? No, Jesus just sits there and goes, go for it. What do you got? Come on, bring your questions. And what you love is he's just stumping people, right? The Sadducees go first. And what happens? Jesus silences them. And the Pharisees get together. Okay, he shut them up. What can we ask him? 
Right? They come up with their questions and they throw them out. Jesus is not afraid of anybody asking a question he doesn't have an answer to. And that's so unique because today public leaders are so afraid of their perceptions, they rarely ever do this. Like you realize when you're watching the political debates, they know what questions are going to be asked, right? In fact, normally there was a long negotiation process between all the parties involved to go, here's what topics we're willing to discuss or not discuss. Almost any interview you've ever watched, it's not off the cuff. They have negotiated what topics will be talked about and which ones won't. Very rarely are you ever watching a genuine, free-flowing conversation where truly somebody is getting hit with topics just at random. Why? Because for most people, there's the fear that they won't have an answer that's right. And for most people, there's the fear of, I won't look good if I don't know what to say. And all they care about is that perception. Not Jesus. Jesus says, stands there and says, bring it. What you got? You want to ask me questions? Ask me questions. Let's do this. He's unbelievably bold that way. And as you read the stories of Christ, this is probably one of the most beautiful traits of him that stands out that I feel like we ignore today. Jesus regularly stood in the midst of his enemies and said, what you got? Bring it. The second thing I love about this story is he's just brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. Now, I want you to listen to me real quick on this because there's a fear I have when we talk about the brilliance of God. Because nowadays what I see happening is when we talk about being Christian, there's two camps. There's a camp of people who go, I believe that this book right here is the word of God. It is written by an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, perfect being. And he has given me this book so that I know who he is and how I should act and behave in my relationship with him. And so for those people, the reason that we abide by what's in this book it's not about wisdom. It's not about logic. It's about a relationship. It's about the fact that I believe a perfect God who loves me wrote those instructions and has asked me to follow them. So I do what he says because I believe he's perfect and because I believe he's good. There's a whole other camp of Christianity coming up now. And I, I, I say Christianity because in no way, shape, or form is it biblical but people still call themselves Christian. And what those people do is they evaluate whether they follow the Bible or not based on how wise it is. Right? So what they'll do is they'll, they'll look through the pages and go, you know what? This concept of loving people, I like that. Like if I think about that, that's pretty logical. If in a society all of us put the best interest of others ahead of ourselves, well, then that would mean all of us should be aiming to help each other. And that would probably create a better place than just everybody out for themselves. I like that. That's really wise. That's logic. You know what? I think I'll follow that. You know this concept of being patient? I like that. That's wise. When you're not patient and you're always flying off the seat of your pants, you're always angry, you're upset, you're emotional, you're all over the place. But when you're patient, you really can think things through. You can respond unemotionally normally make better decisions. I like this patience thing. You know what? This Jesus guy has a lot of wise things to say, and so I think I'm going to follow some of this stuff. This is a good manual. I like it. Here's the problem with that. There are absolutely going to be moments where God asks you to do something that from your evaluation is crazy. So if your standard of whether I obey or not is your ability to discern whether it's brilliant that's a problem. Because ultimately what you're saying is, is who really is the measurement of brilliance? God or you? You. Which means deep down in your heart, what you really believe is, you're smarter than God is. And so nowadays, that's what we see. We see a lot of people who are Christians who pick and choose what they like. So I'll follow that part, and this part, and that part, and this part. But you know what? That whole thing about like homosexuality being wrong, I don't like that. It's not following that. You know that whole part about I need to go to church regularly? Not following that. You know that whole part about me being accountable to a body of believers, and me being accountable to Lord and how I live and behave? Not following that. 
Right? I'm going to pick and choose. Why? Because some of these things just don't seem practical to me. Some of these things don't seem so wise to me, so I'm not going to do them. Well, brothers and sisters, do you think it was wise for Daniel to go against the king so that he could be thrown into the lion's den? Do you think he assessed that analytically and said, you know what, this is a logical play. This is the best thing to do here. What's going to bring best goodness to my life is to defy the king and then get sentenced to death. I think that's the good play here. No. That wasn't a logical decision. That was a loving decision where he went, my God, who made me, created me, and saved me, has asked me to do this. So I will. And if I die, I die. See, what we have to be careful of is while we can be in awe of the brilliance, the brilliance isn't the reason we follow. We follow because he's God. We follow because he's perfect. We follow because we love him. Now, brothers and sisters, those of you that have children, you understand some of this in your life because as parents, I think the most of us, most of the time, want to explain to our children why we want them to do something. Most of the time, we are willing to have that conversation with them where when you ask them to do something and they go, why, that you'll explain it. But parents, have you also not been at those moments where your children are asking you why and the beautiful words, because I said so, come out of your mouth? Right? Why, do you, why do we say, because I said so? We say it because at that point in time, what we're saying is, I'm not really interested in this moment in getting into an intellectual debate with you about whether or not my strategy is the right strategy or not. In this moment, what I'm asking you to realize is that as we've had these conversations throughout our life, I've continually been smarter and wiser than you are. I've also dedicated my life to you. I've also sacrificed for you greatly. So in this little moment, I need you to shut your mouth, get in the car, and buckle up and trust that daddy's got this. That's what I need right now. And what I don't want to get into is every single time we make a decision, I've got to give you a strategy session on why this is going to make sense, this is best for your life, and this is what we're doing. And brothers and sisters, in many ways, God is exactly the same way. There are many things in your life where God will explain to you why he's doing what he's doing. There's many times where he's going to show you the wisdom and the brilliance and the logic and the love and all those things. But there's also going to be those moments where he's like, just get in the car. Just follow. Why are you going to go this way? Because I'm going this way. That's why. And we've got to build that into ourselves. But what I do want you to see is it's a balance. It's a balance of I follow because of obedience and love but I also marvel at the brilliance. I marvel at how much he makes sense. So think about this question that's asked of him. You're talking about the Jewish law itself, which has hundreds of laws. But then on top of that, all the Pharisees have built laws after laws after laws. So depending on how you do the count, you're talking somewhere between like 400 to 1,000 different laws that these people follow. And they come to Jesus and they go, which one, one is the greatest? Now, why are they asking this question? They're asking this question because whenever you ask someone like that, what's most important, you can flip their answer on them. Right? If I were to ask you, what's worse, beating your child or your spouse? What can I always do with your answer? If you say beating your spouse, oh, so you think child abuse is cool. So you think it's good to go ahead and beat up on little children who are defenseless and can't take care of themselves. And if you say, well, no, I mean, child abuse is bad. Oh, so you think it's okay to beat up on your wife. You think because she's a grown-up and because she's an adult that you could go ahead and force your will upon her. Right? There's not really a good answer to that question, right? The way I framed it is going to set you up to leave something unaddressed. And that's their whole goal here. Whatever Jesus says, they're not going to focus on that. They're going to focus on all the ones he didn't say. Right? So if he says, keep the Sabbath, oh, but we don't need to honor God? Okay, that's interesting. And so without a 
beat being missed? Jesus brilliantly answers the question. Because the first and foremost is love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And he goes, in the seconds like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says something very beautiful after that. He goes, and all the law and the prophets hang on those two things. I've shared this with you before, but remember, when he says the law and prophets, that's what they called the Bible back then. So Jesus goes, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Love God, love people. The whole Bible is built on that. And the beauty of it is if you study Scripture, you realize of all the things it says, all of them have their roots in those two things. Right? We've done this before, but think. Ten Commandments. What are the first four about? Loving God. Take a wild guess what the second six are about. Loving people. Right? Go to most of the rituals or traditions that the Old Testament Jews had. Guess what they're normally focused on? Either showing that they love God or that they love people. This verse itself isn't something new created by God. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, this passage, love God, love people, shows up. And it continually shows up all throughout the Old Testament, regularly. You go and study all the times that Israel was in trouble with God, and there's two reasons they always get in trouble. Either they're not rightly loving God, or they're not rightly loving people. Jesus looks at this question they've set up to be unbelievably difficult and just cuts right through it. Cuts right through it. This isn't complicated. This is simple. You love God and you love people, folks. And it just shuts them up. They have nothing to say. They have absolutely nothing to say. They're just speechless by what he said. And I love this because look what happens in 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. So what's Jesus do now? He turns the tables. Jesus goes, you want to play a game? Okay, let's play a game. You want to play a game about who knows more about the Bible? That is a bad game to play with God. You're going to lose that one. And it's funny because we've seen him do this before. Remember the very beginning of his ministry? Who comes to tempt him? Satan does. And what does Satan try to regularly do in the temptation battle? He continually tries to remind Jesus of biblical truths and tries to get Jesus to apply them wrongly. And every time Jesus just comes out with better scripture to go, you clearly don't understand what you're talking about. Yes, it does say what you just said, but that's completely out of context. If you also look at these passages, you realize I would never do that. Jesus is completely at home in the word of God because it's his word. And so he takes these people who have set up this public setting to embarrass him and goes, all right, now that I've answered your questions and shut you up, let's go ahead and talk questions. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And what I love about this is this shows the reason that you and I should be so willing to abide by God when he asks us to do. These are not dumb men. These men have been studying the word of God since they were probably four or five years old. Most of these men could probably recite most of the Old Testament by memory. And so Jesus asks a very simple question. Who is the son of man? The whole Testament is pointing to this Messiah figure that's coming. So who do you say he is? If that's the whole hope of your religion, if that's what everything is pointing to, you geniuses should be able to tell me who he is. And they go, well, well he's the son of David. I mean, he's a descendant of David. And Jesus goes, really? Let's think about that for a second. Isn't it interesting that if he's a son of David, if he's just a simple descendant of him, that David... Calls him Lord. That doesn't seem to make sense. Nowhere in Scripture would we ever teach that a man would call his grandchild his Lord. 
nowhere in Scripture do we have anything that would suggest to us that that would ever be the right thing to do, that a, a father figure, especially someone like David, used by God to establish a nation, would one day look at another king who is one of his children and go, I will bow before you because you're my Lord. That doesn't seem to make sense. And what happens to the Pharisees? What's their response to this? No one was able to answer him a word. And notice what happens. I love the next sentence. Nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. See, here's what I love about Jesus. Not only is he bold and is he brilliant, but he's a disruptor. I think we miss this all the time. Jesus really isn't this guy you put into a scenario and he just makes everything more peaceful. Jesus is actually one of these people that comes into your life and shakes everything up. Right? He comes in when people are comfortable and lazy and sitting on their butts and just think they know everything, and he shakes them and makes them rethink about everything. So these guys walk into this setting thinking that they are the smartest men in the world. They walk into this setting to induce fear on him. They walk into this setting to embarrass him and make him look bad. And what does he do? Without even knowing it's coming, he flips the whole thing around. He brilliantly answers their question, and then he asks them one question off the top of his head that stumps them all. I love that about him. I wish more of us had this disruption in our own lives. Too many of us are terrified to disrupt the status. Too many of us are afraid when we're in a conversation with a friend or a family member and they say something that we know is not quite right to go, well, let's talk about that. Why? Because everything's peaceful. Why do I want to mess this up? This is a friend. Everything's good. We're not arguing. If I say this, who knows where this could go? Let me not do that. We're more focused on the comfort of life than we are about the real value of what's happening. Jesus wasn't that way. Jesus would come in and shake things up. Jesus was a rebel. Jesus was a troublemaker. Jesus was somebody that just didn't let things be as they were. And we miss that so often. And so, brothers and sisters, well, this will be our, our last message in the series. What my hope is for you is that it changes the lens through which you look at Scripture. The most important thing in each of your lives is not that you know what the Bible says and you've changed your behavior because of it. The most important thing is that you know what Scripture says and it has made you fall in love with God. That you know what Scripture says and you realize the person you love more than anybody else in this world more than your mother and father, more than your spouse, more than your beautiful children, more than any of those people that bring so much love into your life. The one you love the most is Him. The one that you truly worship and cherish. The one you desire to honor in all ways, shapes, and form in your life. The one that you want to know you're always standing at His side is Him. That's the point. A lot of us have gotten on this path and taken a slight detour. A detour that no longer is about us each and every day being more intimate in our relationship with God, but has become more about us being a better version of ourselves. We've gotten away from being a passionate, loving disciple of Jesus, and we've gotten into being a church-going person. We've got to shake that free. We've got to make sure that's not the goal. And where this is hard, brothers and sisters, is it's something that really is about this. It's about your heart. Because it's really hard to evaluate on the surface level. 
Right? If we would have looked at the Pharisees on the surface level, we would have seen religious people. We'd have seen people always going to church. We'd have seen people giving money to the poor. We would have seen people who are helping charities. We'd have seen people who've memorized scripture. We'd have seen people who stand by the word of God. Right? We'd have seen on the surface level a lot of things that look good. It really wasn't until you start digging underneath that until you really started seeing people's hearts that you realize something seems off here. And there's a lot of Christians that think activity is the way to change their lives. They think if they go to church regularly, or if they join a small group, or if they tithe, or if they pray more, or if they do these things, that's going to change them. It won't do it if your focus isn't to get closer to Him. It's got to be that you're getting closer to Him. That has to be the focus. And so, brothers and sisters, I just want you to think for just a moment today. Have you really come face to face with the Son of God? Do you really know the shepherd's voice? Have you really experienced what it's like to be at his side and to understand who he is and what he wants? Or rather, have you adopted Christianity because you like some of the things it has to say? Because you like being part of a group? Because some of the concepts are intriguing to you? On the surface, sometimes it's hard to see the difference between those two things, but they are very, very different. And what this room is supposed to be filled of is people who love God more than anything. And while we will never be perfect, no one will ever doubt that we are running towards him with everything we've got. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. For in its pages, Lord, in its stories, is revealed to us who you are and who your son is. God, the more we learn about you, the more we come face to face with you, we realize how awesome you are. And the more humbling it becomes to realize that we even get to talk to you, that we get to love you, that we get to call you Father, and that we get to walk by your side. What an unbelievable gift you give us. Father, I pray that each and every person in this room that they have experienced you. That, Lord, they don't know just about you, but they know you. Father, I pray the fire that burns in our hearts is a desire each and every day to be closer to you. And I pray, Father, that as we leave today, that as we live our lives, people don't see us, they see you. They see your love. They see your power. They see your boldness. They see your compassion. They see you and the things that we do. Father, we love you. We praise you. And in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, Maria is going to lead us in a song. And while she does that, uh, I, Joe, James, Matt, uh, Justin will be around the room. So that if there's something that you want somebody else praying for, uh, you'll know that we're here. Pablo here too. And um, if you don't feel comfortable coming up during service, always seek us out after. We are here to pray with you. We're here to help you along your journey. After we pray, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper and just remembering the sacrifice that Jesus has made for each and every one of us. Let's all stand, everyone. Price of life's demand.
1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, brothers and sisters, as always, I remind you that when uh, we take the grape juice and the untasty cracker, that this isn't about the untasty cracker and the grape juice. 
This is about us remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. This is about us remembering that he was willing because of his love for us to have his body broken and his blood spilled. And it's because of that sacrifice that not only are all our debts washed away, but that we are covered in his righteousness and we are given this new life. What two beautiful gifts we get to know that. The debts are paid and we have a new life. And so, brothers and sisters, as we take this, what God's word is, instructs us is a few things. One, it is asked that this is only taken by believers. It is only taken by those who have given their lives over to Christ. Second, it is asked that if there is something that you have not given over to the Lord, some sin that is in your life that you truly haven't repented of, that before you take this, you first make it a priority to get right with him, to lay those sins at his feet and to ask for repentance. And third, he instructs us that before we come to the table, we should always make sure our relationships with our brothers and sisters in faith are right. And so if there is a brother or sister in the faith who has been asking for your forgiveness, who's been asking for you to give them a chance, and you've been unable to do that, he asks, instead of you taking the supper, that you again make that your priority, to be in unity and to be in love with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we pass this out, I just encourage you to think about those things, pray about those things, and take the Lord's Supper with a clean heart that does it all in joy. Let me pray over the bread. Dearly Father, as we take this bread, we are reminded of the broken body of Jesus. We're reminded, Lord, that no one took his life from him. He only gave his life out of choice. And he did that, Lord, so he could pay for the debt that we owed. Father, in this action, he shows us a sacrificial love that has changed the world. And Father, today as we take this, we proclaim that we have received that love and we have desire to share it with as many people as possible. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus' sacrifice. In his beautiful name we pray.
In Mark chapter 14, it talks to us about the Lord's Supper. That night he shared his last meal with his disciples. And it says, while they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. As a family, let us eat. In verse 23, it says, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Let me pray over the cup. Heavenly Father, as we take this cup, may we remember the blood of Jesus, Lord. The blood that not only represents the washing away of our sins, but just as importantly, Lord, represents our new life. Father, it is in Jesus, not only do we have our guilt taken from us, but we have his righteousness poured upon us. What an honor it is, Lord, to know that we represent you. As we walk through this world, we do not walk merely as man, but we walk as a representative of the holy kingdom of God. That we, Father, have the ability to share your light and your love with this world that needs it so badly. We thank you, Father, for not only saving us, for adopting us as your children. Father, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As a family, let us drink. As it tells us in the New Testament, after they had shared the supper, uh, they sang a hymn. And so I'm going to ask uh, Maria to just uh, sing a hymn for us. I ask for your patience, though. We have just a couple things that I need to announce to you guys after that. So hold up with me after we're done singing, and I'll have a couple other things for you. Let's all stand, sing together. We're just going to sing the first slide, first, second slide, just the chorus. We are one in the bond of love. We are one in the bond of love. We have joined our spirit with the spirit of God. We are one in the bond of love. 
Have a seat. No, just turn it on. Uh, afterwards, as you leave, there'll be a poll on who wore the ja jacket better, me or Joe. Um, I would like, as you're voting about it, not to think about the full outfit, because clearly he's trying to show off here. Just who wore the jacket better, okay? I think that's what we're going for here. We have to start calling each other to coordinate to not match. To not match. Um, a couple things for you. Uh, one, remember we have uh, two new classes starting here in September. So on September 8th in the morning, we will be starting our deep dive Bible study. We're going to be jumping in not only to the Bible, but a book called The Parables, which really revealed to us how Jesus used parables, what was the beautiful truth in those parables, and how do we apply them well to our lives. Uh, if you are interested in being part of this group, we ask you to let us know by signing one of the sign-up sheets in the back corner there. That is because each student will be getting their own book. And so we really want to make sure we have enough books uh, for everybody to read, take home, and study so they get the most out of the class. Uh, we'll be offering that both in English and in Spanish. So the English class will be at 9.30 on Sundays. Spanish will be a new thing. They'll be meeting at 11 o'clock on Sundays. So they will have a new small group meeting. So please, if you're interested in that, let us know. Uh, the second small group is we're going to be taking our Wednesday nights and focusing them fully on evangelism. Um, we want to take seriously the commission that Jesus gave us. Right? His last instructions were us to remember that we had a mission, which was to go out into this world and to preach the gospel to all nations. And that we have a job not only to preach that, but to help build disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. Amen. And we know that as we've worked with you and talked with you, that one of the concerns we've all shared is, is that's hard. It's hard to do that. It makes you uncomfortable. Sometimes you don't feel like you have all the information that you want to share. Sometimes you don't know how to answer some of those questions that people are asking of you. And so it can be a little frightening out there. And while we believe even in that fear, you should be confident that God will give you the words, we also have a responsibility to use our time and our hearts and our minds to study and to train and to get better. And my ultimate prayer for us as a church is that one day we'll look around this room and go, you know what, we're pretty good at sharing the gospel with people. Amen. We're pretty good at it. And so we're going to take our Wednesday nights and we're going to very much focus on evangelism. And so that Wednesday night class, we're calling it Go Fish, which is, of course, you know, go into the world and be fishers of men. And uh, we're going to study a book that talks about how do you have these real good conversations with people in your family and at work and in your day-to-day -day lives. And so we encourage you to come to those. Uh, the September 8th, that Sunday morning, is when we kick off the parables class. And then Wednesday, September 11th, that's when we'll kick off evangelism class. And again, both those will be in English and in Spanish. So we're, we're hoping you'll pray about it and you'll consider coming. Uh, the second thing is, is that we have another member this week who lost someone near and dear to them. And I say the same thing every time, but I think it's one of these truths that's just so dear we need to hold to our hearts. And that's the beauty of that. When we're part of this church, we're part of a family. This is not a social club. This is not a place that you come so that you can sit in comfy pews and be inspired by my brilliant words. Don't laugh at that. Uh, this is a place that you come so that you experience God. And it's this place where you come so that you experience love with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. And the reality is, brothers, it's not always easy. Right? Because we're all sinners. We're all mess-ups in one way or another. And we all come from different places and different backgrounds. And in fact... This group, what's different than a lot, is a lot of times you find a group of people and they've all been pulled together by something very common. Right? They all love the same sports team, or they all like to work out, or they all come from the same place, or they all work at the same place. And you look around a room like this and you realize a lot of those things aren't true here. A lot of us are from different places. A lot of us look different. A lot of us grew up in different kinds of families. A lot of us have different kinds of financial situations. We're we all over the place. But what does bring us together is the love of Jesus Christ. And so when we're a family like that, we get to divide each other's pains and we get to share in each other's joys. And so this week, Jackie lost her mother, Gladys. And when I say, Catherine, I'm so sorry. And when I say lost, I mean from the fact that she lost the ability to converse with her on a day-to-day -day basis. But she has a great peace in her heart knowing that she is with her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And she knows that she has that love in her heart that she will always be able to cherish. And so this is one of those moments that we both divide the pain and share the joys. And you do get to see her again. We get to stand together and worship our love. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. 
And so, uh, as our tradition is, we always have a memorial Bible that we love to give to our members just to let them know we're praying about you, we're thinking about you, and we love you, and we know that the Word of God will get us through all things. Well, this is for you, Jackie. Let me go ahead and give this to you. We love you. Thank man. you. Well, and let me go ahead and just uh, close us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this family. Thank you for the love that brings us together, the love that we have for you. Father, I, I pray that you will just remind each and every one of us that in ourselves is your spirit the spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. And that, Father, we are your instruments, instruments that are to be used in this world to spread your love and your light. Father, use us this week to do your will. In your wonderful name we pray, amen. Love you all. God bless you. Have a great week.